Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We are continuing our series on exploring the book of Mark, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. And so today, I'm talking about one of the most well-known miracles in in the Bible. There's there's these key miracles that seem to be um, highlighted through Scripture that that we hear of. And this one today, I want to take some time and looking into it, because so many times, especially when a familiar passage of Scripture, we can read it, and we we lose kind of the, the, the shine of it, because we've heard it all the time, or we... Maybe if you grew up in church, you heard it at Sunday school, you saw the flannel graph of this miracle. But I believe God wants to speak to us today because even the disciples didn't understand the revelation of this miracle. And I'll show you that in just a moment. So let's begin learning from Jesus as we walk with Jesus through this account in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 6, and I'll begin reading this morning. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, so they were hungry. They were just like you, about, you know, right, right at like 11, 17, you start thinking about what you're having for lunch a little bit, right? Right? Um, th- this, this is happening with them. They had been ministering all day. They were hungry, and they said, come on, Jesus, we need a falafel and some hummus, so let's go get it. So, they, so he said to them, well, come with me. By yourselves, let's go to a quiet place and get some rest. So Jesus, that's a great idea. Let's go. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Then Jesus landed and saw the large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to think the context of this. So here the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, we hungry and we're tired. And he says, okay, boys, let's get in the boat. Let's go, 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 go to a restful place. We'll get some food and we'll get some rest. So they landed and, and imagine what the disciples are thinking. They, they pull up. There's all these people. And they're thinking, uh-uh, no, uh-uh. Jesus, you said we were going to get some supper. And so they pull up and Jesus is moved with compassion because they were sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So they had been ministering all day long. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, Jesus. So they thought, you know what? Since Jesus, since, since Jesus cares, obviously cares about the people more than he does us because he's not worried about that we're hungry, that we're tired, let's just throw this out to him and let's see if we can convince him to kind of go the way that we want him to go. So his disciples have said, hey, listen, this is a remote place, Jesus. And he said, uh, and, and it's already very late, as you can see that. Um, Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding towns and villages and buy themselves something to eat, right? Because they're hungry, Jesus. You don't want them to get, you don't want them to be hungry because remember, you care for them more than you care for us. So why don't you send them away? And they knew that if Jesus did that, then they could finally get some food. But he answered to them, and this is where the, the miracle of this story starts to come into play. He says this, you give them something to eat. Now, hang on a minute, Jesus. I just said we're in a remote place. I just said that there's no food around here. I just said that the towns are far off and we should send them there. And then you just told me to feed them. So this is this interaction now between Jesus and his disciples. And then so they started to think, okay, but don't you know that would take more than a half a year's wages? 
Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. We'll go and see. So when they found out, they said five and two fish. So it's five loaves and two fish. And Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up, now here's the remarkable, picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was around 5,000. And this is, to me today, is an incredible story, and I pray that it is to you as well. Because Jesus wants to share with us from his encounter with these people he cared for. He also wants you to know today that he has compassion on you and he cares for you. He cares about where you're at. He cares about what you're going through. He cares about your need. And so here we have all Jesus. He was tired. He was hungry. He went, went with his disciples. He got there. They, they only had a little, little bit of food. He blessed it. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. He blessed it and he began to give it out to the people. But what I love about this interesting, um, this interesting miracle here is that Jesus, you see his, his compassion, his love for the people, and he begins to organize people, to get in groups. Because here's the truth, and here's, here's the reality. When you work with large groups, the best way to serve their needs is to allow them to break up into smaller groups within the large group to, to meet each other's needs. That's what actually what we believe here at Faith. I'll take a little sidestep here for a minute and promote some small groups. You guys ready for this? So Jesus broke them up into small groups. And, and so why? Because one, it's, it's a place where you can be known. It's a place where then you, could, you can share. And there's a, it's a controlled environment that people can meet each other's needs. You can be known and know other people. We do the same thing here at Faith. It may not be for the sake of physical food, but it's for the purpose of having our needs met and helping each other out. And really the only way that you can function in a large group as a congregation is for people to break up into smaller groups. Groups. That's just the truth. And so if you're a part of a, of a small group, then that's awesome. If you're not, I just want you to know you are missing out on the miracle and the freedom that God has for you in, in this community that he's called you to be a part of. But with this miracle, and that, that was my little sidestep, I'll get back to the story. With this miracle, Jesus is doing more than just giving them physical food. So many times we think, oh, they were hungry, then he met their need and fed their bellies with food. But the reality is this, he was teaching them so much more, and he was teaching the disciples so much more, and he wants to teach you something this morning. And actually, matter of fact, later on in, the, in, in chapter 6, this is what we read about the disciples. They said this in 652, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. So we can hear this miracle today, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand. And so what is God wanting to teach us from this story today, the fish and the loaves? And I really want us to understand this. I want you to get it today. Jesus' heart for you, his passion for you, his care for you. And to me, it's this, to know that Jesus is more than enough when we face impossibilities or when we face challenges. So lessons from Jesus today. Point one, you have it on your notes, is this. Lessons, lesson number one is this. Your need is an opportunity, not an impossibility. 
Whatever you're facing today, your need is an opportunity, not an impossibility. So no matter what you're facing today, and I know many of you are facing some, some incredible needs today. No matter what your bank statement says, no matter how impossible your issue is, no matter what struggle you're walking through, whether in your business, in your marriage, no matter what it is, you need to know this, that whatever your need is, it is an opportunity for God to do a miracle in your life. I hope you know that today. And I I believe what Jesus is telling us today is, listen, before you give up, before you let your situation kind of dictate your life and send you down the trajectory of, 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 a, of maybe a difficult time. And so what happens is we go through situations. We go through difficult times. And what happens, that information that we receive, then we think, well, my life must just go this direction. But so many times, just like the disciples, here they are. They're faced with this need. The people are hungry. They're hungry themselves. The, the information was very simple. They can't stay here. They need to go away and find some food, and we need to get some rest. That was the information. But God doesn't take natural information and and always dictate the direction we're going to go. He's the God of the supernatural and wants to meet us in in the middle of our need and our impossibilities. And so often we, we ask our situation. We say this, okay, this is the information, this is the situation, this is, this is the details I'm getting. And so we ask our broken problem, okay, now what do I do? And the whole time that our Savior and our King is standing right there, and we haven't gone to Him, we haven't talked to Him yet. And many times our hunger pains of the need, just like their need was food, our hunger pains sometimes can be a solution. Listen, I need, Lord, I need $250 by next Tuesday. That's the hunger pain. Or maybe your marriage is in a place you're, you're in pain and you're thinking, God, I, I don't know what to do. I keep getting disappointed and disappointed or we keep saying things that are hurtful and painful one another. And the, and the hunger pains of the need that you have becomes it's the shouting voice in your face and you can't think of anything else except your hunger pains. And Jesus knows that. And so this is something to remind us today if you are in pain. If you're walking through a difficult situation, if your need seems it's the only thing right in front of your face, I, kinda, I, wanna, I want to kind of shock you a little bit and say, listen, listen, you need to know this. Stop letting your hunger pains, your situation, whatever you're dealing with, dictate your next decision and your next step. It's time that you need to take something to Jesus. Our need so many times causes us so much pain that it, it becomes the number one priority in our life. It's all we think about. It's all we process about. It's all, it's all and we wake up in the morning, it's there. We go to bed, we, it's there. We wake up in the middle of the night, it's there. And the need is screaming at us. And in the middle of a problem, the first thing we do many times is listen to our emotions. Well, I'm feeling this. And because I'm feeling this, I need to take a step. How many here would know that your emotions aren't always true? Do do you know that? And so many times we, we, uh, we have trusted our own gut, our own emotions over the realities of the truth of the Word of God. And so this is, this is a statement that maybe can help some of you navigate situations you're facing. Just because you feel something does not mean it is true. Because the enemy can, can, the enemy can um, influence your emotions. The enemy can plant thoughts in your mind. 
The enemy can make you hopeless and make you want to give up. The enemy can even plant lies about other people, about, about maybe your spouse, about the financial situation, about your church. About, you can plant lies all in there. Well, but I feel it, therefore it must be true. You're right, unless it's not true. And then you begin to act on something that isn't even true, and it sets the whole trajectory of your attitude, of your spirit, of the, out, of the outcome, of whatever it is that you're facing. So Jesus turned to his disciples in the middle of this need, and he says, here's the problem. They were telling him, here's the problem. We have several thousand people. They're hungry. What are we going to do? Now, Jesus knew exactly where they were at. And this was part of the test. And some of the disciples felt like they had the answer. Okay, this is what we're going to do. Lord, it's late. People are hungry. We can't feed them. We should send them away to the neighborhood. They felt panic. They felt fear. Their emotions were all over the place. They were hangry is what was going on. And they thought this angry, hungry mob is going to kill us or do something if we don't send them away. So the question for us in this today, and this is a challenge. It's a very wide spectrum to challenge today is this. Do you let your feelings be your guide? Because if the disciples would have acted on their feelings, on the information that they had, we wouldn't have this account of this incredible miracle that we face today. It, yeah, but it would have made sense. Yes, it would have. But they would not have seen the sufficiency and the power and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Here's another question. Are you someone that goes by your gut feeling? Do you judge a solution or a situation by whether it feels right or wrong? Well, it just feels this way. The problem is your feelings can mislead you. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's true. Your emotions, and, and here's maybe some of us need to hear this today, and I know I need to be reminded of them, of this truth, is that our emotions are the shallowest area of our soul. They're influenced every day by, by pain, by a situation, by a commercial, by something you hear on the radio, by, the, by music, by all this stuff. It, it, they, are, they, are, they are influenced by that. And Jesus turned to his disciples. He said, you feed them. And we read from another gospel, and this is the only miracle that is in all four gospels, that Philip is the one who was like, hang on, let me just run the numbers. He pulls out his um, hibiscus thing. He starts sliding stuff around. He said, okay, 5,000 people, he begins to run the numbers. Five, sorry, 5,000 men, then you add in the wives, you add in the children. I said, okay, let's make it around 15,000 people to here. Let's multiply that, that by, you know, $1.75 per person, the cost of a meal purchased in, in bulk. We can use our Sam's card and save a little bit. Uh, Jesus, that amounts about what, what the person makes in a half a year. Do we want to spend that much money? That was his conclusion. And he turned to Jesus. He said, hey, uh, Jesus, the numbers don't lie. Sorry, this is where we are. It's not going to happen. We're not gonna, we don't have this amount of money. And that's what a lot of people approach a challenge or a need in crisis. How much do I have? What's it going to cost me? And then you look at all the information and think, you know, I don't have what it takes to overcome this. And then we run the informational calculations and whatever we come up with, well, that must become the facts. And then we start we start living our life from the facts of the natural instead of bringing whatever we have to Jesus. So whatever it is that you're facing, the truth is Jesus is challenging our way of thinking today. 
He's, he's challenging. Listen, just because the facts or the information say something, don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't fall into, don't spiral into a, a depression. Don't think the circumstances are stacked against you. Don't give up on your dream. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up on this situation or the financial thing that you're going through. Don't give up on your ministry, whatever it may be, because, because when, when we're left to our own limitations and in our own emotions, then it's over. That's all we got. Send them away. It's done. My marriage is over. My finance won't work. Okay, that's just the way it is. But if we take our need to Jesus, everything changes. And with God, our need, again, is an opportunity. It is not an impossibility because we're faced with so much stuff. And we think, it's over. I, and I guess today, and I even feel in my own spirit, even, even now, it's, it's fighting against this natural thinking that, yeah, but Jason, but we, you know, we got to make decisions off of information. Yes, you do. But the fact is this. You need to understand that Jesus even said this. When we face situations, when all the details come back, when we look at our past, the brokenness of a, of a relationship, our finances, a, a whatever it is, a failing company, a failing business, anything we're struggling with, we say, yeah, it's impossible. But here's the reality. Jesus said in Matthew 19, this is what he said. Jesus looked at him and says, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. But this possibility that Jesus speaks of only comes when we understand our point two today, which is number two, your need will remain an impossibility until you place it into the hands of Jesus. That's what we have in the story. They, they got the two fish, the five loaves. You got the two sardines, the five saltines. Here they are. What do you do with it? Well, just, just them alone, it's two fish and, and five loaves. But what happens is they bring it to the master. They bring it to the Savior, and he touches it with his hands. And he prays over it and he blesses it. And that which, which seemed inadequate, that, that, that which seemed not enough, that which seemed like this is ridiculous, this is impossible, that which seemed like hopeless, Jesus takes it and all of a sudden they place it in his hands and now it, became, it becomes enough to meet the needs not only of them but of other people around them. It was the blessing and the power of Jesus that transformed that multiplied it, but the multiplication never would have happened unless they had placed it in the hands of Jesus. There are a lot of people that give up. You just fall short, I, it's done, I can't, I can't do it. We hit the eject button, it's too hard, I'm out of here. We read the information and we say, well, it's, then it's over for me. My pain's too much, situation's too difficult. I'm just gonna have to stay in this job even though it's horrible. We just, we read the information and we say, okay, that's, that is just the way it is. But it's the act of giving your situation. And I don't know what it is today. Like I said, this is a very broad message, but I believe it touches every person in the room. What is it in your life that you've just come to settle? It's just the way it is. It's just one of those things. What is it that have you, have you given up fighting for? What is it that you've given up placing in the hands of Jesus? You can try to do it on your own, and you can, you can hold it in your own hands and say, you know what, I, there's nothing I can do about it. I can't overcome this. I, can, I don't have the brains to fix it, so it, it is what it is. It's just, it's disaster. 
And the fact is this, when we place it, our needs, whatever that is today, into the hands of Jesus, we move from a natural thinking into the supernatural. Listen, the natural isn't working anyway, so why not give it into the hands of a supernatural God that can meet you today, that can transform you, that can change you, that can heal you? Because the rules of God's kingdom don't always make sense. You're like, Jason, this doesn't make any sense. You mean I take a, a broken business and I give it in the hands of God, and what's he going to do with it? Because it doesn't make sense, the information. This, this doesn't make any sense. But here's, here's the beauty about our God and our Savior. He is not locked in to the earthly structure of how things work. He is not locked in to earthly wisdom. He's not locked in to, well, I guess I, better, I have to do it that way because that's just the way it is. No, no, he is the God of the impossible because, this is, listen to me, his kingdom is not from this world. The rules of God's kingdom are upside down compared to what the world has to offer you today. Listen to other biblical upside down truths about God's kingdom. You're like, no, Jason, no, everything in scripture, it makes sense. No, it doesn't. It does not make sense. Why Jesus would want to die for you makes no sense to me. And why Jesus would want to die for me makes no sense because his ways are bigger and better and more powerful than anything we could ever think of. Here's one biblical thing that doesn't make sense. So the Bible says this, if you want to be a leader, you know what you need to do? You need to become a servant. I don't understand that. If you want to truly find life, you want life? Yes, I want life. Then you need to go die somewhere. If you want to get back at your enemy, this is what you can do. Love them. Doesn't make any sense. If you want to be first, then you need to what? Be last. Upside down. Doesn't make sense. If you want to keep what you have, then what, this is what you need to do. You need to give it away. What? If you want the blessing of God on your finances, then you need to return to the house of God the tithe of 10%. That doesn't make sense. You're right. It doesn't. Because God's ways are not our ways. That's the truth. It doesn't make sense. The supernatural actually doesn't make natural sense. That's why it's called supernatural. God is not bound to our natural world, my friends, or our natural circumstances. He can do supernatural things with natural things. And I believe God delights in doing it. I believe God delights. He, listen, he led them to this place off of the Sea of Galilee with these like 15,000 people. He knew that there would be only one person that showed up that was actually prepared to eat lunch. He knew that. He set the whole thing up. He delights in that. Because that which, where man says it's impossible. No way. There's no way you're going to feed 15,000 people with two fish and five loaves. Jesus says, watch me. Watch me. This little boy who had his lunch, his mother had packed him a little brown bag special that day for supper. I mean, think about this, though. He was the rightful owner of those fish and those crackers. He could have snuck off beyond a rock somewhere and thought, uh-uh, I'm not sharing this with anybody. It's, listen, it's not my fault that their mama didn't pack them a lunch. He could have enjoyed his lunch and just been like, mm, too bad for you guys. He could have done that. But 
And we know the Bible doesn't say if, if, whether Jesus asked the boy for the lunch, if the boy offered it to Jesus. But the, regardless, the little boy, and here's the key, he handed over ownership of his lunch to Jesus. He says, you can have it, Jesus. And here's the truth in this thing. God wants you to transfer all ownership of anything in your life into his hands. That's what he wants you to do. Why? So that his ways can be done in your life. If, if you, listen, the boy could have held it and he could have eaten it and that could have been it. No, no miracle, no story. He could have done it. But the moment he transferred, transferred his lunch into, his, into the master's hands, the miracle began to happen. Your miracle is on the other side of you surrendering and transferring your need, whatever it is in your hand, pain. It might be a situation. It might be, might be minuscule and tiny to you. It might be a, a, a broken relationship. It might be a, a whatever, mental health. It could be physical health. Whatever it is, your miracle is on the other side of you transferring who you are and everything about your life into the hands of Jesus Christ. And you think, yeah, but I can't wrap my head around all this, Jason. That's totally fine. I don't think you should. The moment that you can understand God is the moment that he, he, he is no longer God. He's something that you can fit within your own confines of your, of your mind. You cannot fully understand an infinite God with a finite mind. You can't. You can see amazing glimpses of things, but you'll never fully wrap your mind around it. But, and, and I'll prove it to you. Look at about, out of Isaiah. This is what God says. He said this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, you don't always get it. Everybody say amen to that. Turn and tell someone, you don't always get it. Go and tell them. You've been waiting to tell them all week. Just tell them now. God's thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The only way that you will access the high thoughts that God has for you, the high ways that God has for you, is when you transfer the ownership of your life from you to Jesus. Then you get to see the benefits of this passage. And that's just the truth. So the question for you, have you followed the example of this little boy with the two fish and the five loaves? Have you transferred ownership of all that you have into the hands of Jesus? You said, Jason, I don't have much to give him. Jason, all I have is, is pain. All I have is failure. All I have is mistakes. All I have is, is just this little, this, little this, is, this is all I have. Maybe it's not on the, on the broken or the negative side. Maybe it's, but Jason, this, I, listen, I'm, this is all, I'm $2 in the positive, okay? This is all I have. Listen, you can keep your $2, and you'll have $2. Or you can transfer the ownership of that $2 to the hands of Jesus, and he can multiply it and make it into something that you never thought possible. That's just how God works. It doesn't make sense. But it's what the scripture says. Listen, Jesus can take two sardines and five saltines and he can feed a multitude. He put together the best charcuterie board anyone had ever seen that day. Little becomes much in the hands of Jesus. So what do you have in your hands? What do you have? 
That's enough. If it's in your hands, if you give it to Jesus, that's enough. Another truth about our need is number three is this. God will use your need to show you his sufficiency. This, again, this whole thing was a setup by Jesus. And God will use your need at some point in your life to test our faith. He allows us to experience a need that leaves us with the reality that I can't do anything about it. I'm at a, I'm at a dead end. God, I've tried everything. I've, I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. It's, oh, I can't do it. And the Lord will use that. And that's what Jesus was doing here in this passage. Jesus used a situation that was humanly impossible to solve, and he revealed his sufficiency to the disciples and to the people. And when we think of sufficiency, we always think, okay, listen, if I'm short $5, then the sufficiency of Jesus gives, gives me $5. But it's not always the case. Sometimes we experience the sufficiency of God when, when he gives us peace in the midst of turmoil when we shouldn't have peace. Maybe you're facing a situation today and you're, and you're like, Lord, I give you ownership of it. And all of a sudden you give it to him and then you sense, you sense this, you sense I have a peace that I've never had before in this situation. The situation is still the same, but guess what? You are different now because Jesus has touched you. The sufficiency of Jesus we can experience an assurance when we don't know how we're going to make it. We can receive a sufficiency of hope when things still look hopeless. There was a moment in my life I experienced the sufficiency of Jesus. I remember I was laying on my basement floor. And things didn't work out the way that I thought they were going to. Things didn't open up the way they were going to, they were going to open up in ministry. And I was sitting there and I was facing needs of my, of, my, of my young family. And I remember laying, and this is the truth, face down on the carpet. If I could crawl in the fibers of the carpet, I would have that day. And I was crying out to God. And I was just, I was like, God, I need you to break through. I need you to break through. I need you to break through. Then all of a sudden, with a, it was just a, a touch of his assurance. It was this simple voice that he spoke to me. He said, hey, son, I've got this. Did my situation change right away? No, it did not. But did I feel the peace from him that surpasses all the understanding I saw with my own eyes? Yes. And I rose from that basement Carpet that was soaked in my tears with an assurance that my God will meet my needs and I will have peace even though I don't see it with my eyes. But that's what God wants to give you today. That's his sufficiency. Remember, his ways are not our ways. We think, Lord, listen, I can only have peace if you do this and this and this. And he says, or I can give you peace when you can't understand why you have peace. That's the sufficiency of God. His sufficiency is enough for you. His care is perfect for you. His care is perfect for your family. No matter what it is you're facing today, as you surrender those things into the hands of Jesus, please hear me today that no situation, nothing, no brokenness, no pain, no disappointment, no, no reality of life can and will thwart God's plans for you when you give everything over to Jesus Christ. 
He can take, he can take ashes and he can create beauty. That's because he's the God of restoration and the God of goodness and the God of power and the God of miracles. Amen? So I just want to give us just three quick ways to see God's sufficiency because when you are in need, sometimes God comes through and he meets you and he heals you or he restores you. That's true. And you can see the sufficiency in that moment. But sometimes we need to remind ourselves of God's sufficiency that actually has always been there for you. And so one of the ways that you can experience and see God's sufficiency, one, is you need to look back. You need to look back on, on the journey that God has led you on. You need to look back when you thought it wasn't going to work out, it wasn't going to happen. And then all of a sudden you get, you get a year out from that horrific situation and you look back and, and you can identify God's sufficiency and his faithfulness in the middle of your pain, in the middle of, of when you thought, God, where are you? You look back and you're like, oh, he was with me the whole time. I want you to think back when a time that you went through a terrible crisis or a terrible or a challenge in your family. While you were in it, you wondered if you could even survive. I've been there. But here's, here's the incredible thing. You're here today, and God sustained you, and God was faithful to bring you through. And now you can see his sufficiency in the middle of that situation. There's a story in the Bible, a man named Jacob. Jacob had a brother. His name was Esau. And Jacob was a deceiver. He ripped his brother off from his birthright. And he actually, he, ran, he was running for his life is what was happening. But God had promised Jacob some things. And the blessing of, of uh, the inheritance of the lineage was upon Jacob. But he was running for his life. And in Genesis we find that Jacob was going to meet this brother that he ripped off. And he was scared. He thought, man, this could be the last time that I ever breathe. And so he met his brother, but instead of his brother taking vengeance on him, his brother, brother met him with grace. And all of a sudden, he was beginning to remember it from this moment of God's hand that was on his life, that God had blessed his home even when he didn't deserve it. God had, had met him even when, when he wasn't looking for God. And all of a sudden, he saw God's sufficiency in his life. And this is what Jacob says in Genesis 32, now listen to this, he says this, I am not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, God. When I left home, I crossed the Jordan River, I own nothing except a walking stick. How many know things are bad when that's all you got is a walking stick? Now, he says, he's looking back, he's looking back. Now, my whole household fills two large camps. He's looking back. God, you've been so good and so sufficient to me. So here's the question. Have you made mistakes in your past? Have you blown it? Are you on the other side of that? I want you to look back and remember that God has been sufficient to you. Have you failed? Have you made mistakes as parents? Everybody says amen to that one. Look back. Now on the other side, you're like, God was so faithful to take care of your mistakes, to meet you in your inadequacies. Another way that you can see God's sufficiency is number two, you need to look forward. This is the promise we have. 
that you and I, no matter what you are going through today, you can experience God's sufficiency by looking forward to say, God, yeah, it's difficult now, but I believe that you, you are going to meet me in the future. I believe that you're going to transform me. Listen, I know we don't understand what's going to happen tomorrow or next month, but for a child of God, our ultimate destination is secure, which is heaven, our home resting place. Where there is no sorrow, there is no tears, there is no suffering, there is no sickness, there is no disappointment. It is, it is utterly and totally we are going to be full of joy and full of peace and full of life. And it's unspeakable. It is so good. One day we're going to be with Jesus for all of eternity. And the thought of that should bring us assurance today no matter what you're facing God is still security. He's still working on your behalf. That's why Romans 8.18 says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Speaking of heaven. This is our promise. So many times we can, we can live for now, but really we are living for eternity. And the last way that you can see, or another way you can see God's sufficiency is number three. Look to God in the middle of your need. It's when you're, in the, when you're right in the middle of a problem or a crisis, when we need God's insight, and you're like, God, and I need it now. God has given us help and hope in the midst of our challenges. It's available to you today. And he wants, to, wants us to walk by faith and believe that he will carry us through the crises no matter what you're going through. That we can get to the other side and we can, we can walk through it and be able to claim this incredible promise that comes from Romans 8. We hear this so much, I think we forget the significance and the power and the meatiness of this promise that's given to us out of Romans 8.28. I want you to read this. And we know that God causes everything. Say everything. 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 What does everything mean? It means everything. Sorrow, joy, victory, frustration, a layoff, a divorce, betrayal, broken heart, bankruptcy, a promotion, whatever it may be. He uses everything to work together for the good of those who love God and according to his purpose for them. That is an incredible promise. Doesn't mean that God causes all those things. No, sin causes the tragedy. Sin causes the brokenness, but he still, because he is a faithful God, he is sufficient. He is more than anything you could ever imagine. He is more than enough. Even in the things that you're embarrassed of, God uses it to work together for our good because we love him. How many are grateful for that promise? That's amazing. It's so good. So my question to you today as we close this, this morning, I just have just a couple questions. I want you to think about it just for a moment. What are you facing that you have allowed, one, the information to dictate your decisions? And the question is, have you asked Jesus yet? 
Did you just face the, the information, the situation, and so you just responded because of the natural? Here's the question. Have you asked Jesus yet? Don't do anything. Don't make any decisions unless you've asked the master. Here's another question. What do you have in your life? What need are you facing that you haven't given complete ownership to God yet? You're doing your best. You're trying. You're trying to work it out. But if you were just to just stop for a second, have I, not only have you asked Jesus about it, but have you given the ownership of that situation over to Jesus? Have you literally said, Lord, I give this to you. I no longer am going to try to control it. I'm first giving you the ownership of it. Just a couple challenges to us today. Very simple. Because we, we don't want to be like the disciples who, in Mark 6 that we read, that they said they didn't understand the miracle of the fish and the loaves. Because their hearts were hardened. We want to understand this miracle. We want to understand that Jesus is more than enough for your pain, for your past, for your present for your need, for your health. He is sufficient in his sovereignty towards you in his sufficiency. And the Lord wants you to know this today. He wants you to know that you are not alone. He wants you to know that, that he's available to you. He wants you to know that while you were, while you were being eaten up by, hang, by hunger pains because of the need, because of the things that are in your life, because of what you see, he wants you to know he's just right there. Just like the boy had the two fish and five loaves. They, they could have gone and started giving it out. It would have ran out really, really quick. But in, before they just acted on it, said, well, let's just feed somebody. They took it and they brought it to the master that was right there and they surrendered. Jesus, here it is. And he took it and he blessed it and he did a miracle. I believe that God wants to do that in your life today. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.